Hello, and welcome to the MKG Podcast, the podcast that helps marketers grow their businesses using the four M's, the right means, messaging, media, and measurement. I'm your host, Carrie Gard, and to help me introduce today's guest, I have our SEO expert, John Ballard. John, thanks for joining me back again. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. Thanks for having me. So, John, there's this, this word that's been floating around. I'd say probably the last two years, I've been hearing a lot about it, storytelling, Brand storytelling, but I feel like everybody has their own spin or definition around it. And I was just curious what your, what you think of this word when it comes to what you do. Yeah. So whenever I think of like storytelling from the SEO perspective, I look at kind of telling like the the brand's overall story, just from the website perspective about how the story works within the brand, how it works to, to, uh, to tell the story on the website and how people can actually, you know, impact and create a very concise and, and on, on message branding, uh, just by using blogs, uh, content pieces on the site and just really kind of making sure that all works in concert together, uh, with any kind of offline media, any kind of traditional media, and just making sure that it all kind of ties back in with, uh, the overall messaging on, on, uh, the website. Yes. So our guest today has a similar vibe on that from a storytelling perspective. Kelby Johnson, the director of content marketing at Providence Health and Services, thinks of story from Providence's mission. Uh, he's taking the very daunting task of telling Providence's story across 100, oh, 150 hospitals. It's a lot. It might be more than that. He corrects me. It's great. Multiple teams and marketing channels. He's got sort of this big, huge job to do when it comes to not only telling Providence's story and their very clear mission, I thought, but trying to do it in a way where everybody is saying not just the same story, but in a similar fashion. And he does it, I think, really beautifully. So let's see how Kelby Johnson does storytelling at Providence. Kelby Johnson, thank you for joining me. Hey, Carrie. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. Kelby, you and I go back, oh, goodness, six years, seven years Something now? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been a long row, and um, I, I love what you guys, I love that you keep doing what you're doing over there at MKG, and happy to be here. Well, we're really happy to have you because you've, you've bounced around a bunch, but you've landed recently, recently, not recently, at Providence Health and Services, and you're doing some cool, I'm going to keep this PG, cool stuff over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been here about three and a half years. I started in July 2016, and previously to me coming on board, uh, they didn't have anybody uh, really focused on content. They had a blog, they had you know, some writers and stuff on the creative team that were doing some decent stuff, but they didn't have anybody really kind of layering on the strategy and kind of uh, around content, the governance and all that stuff, and then figuring out how do you really do content marketing. And so I was hired as their first content person, and I have for the three years been a one-man shop doing this. And my purview uh, remit, if you will, has, has expanded over those three years just because I can't help myself to, to say yes and, and dive into so many different things. But it's fun, and it's just one big puzzle. It, it is one big puzzle because Providence is so big. I mean, it's three three hospitals. 
I want to say 150 hospitals and about 800 clinics across seven states. So we have a footprint mostly on the West Coast. It's Washington, uh, Oregon, California, Montana, Alaska, and um, we acquired a Catholic system in uh, Texas, and they have they had some partnerships in Nevada. So pretty vast. And there's about 120,000 caregivers, which is what our employees are called, uh, throughout that seven region. And that ranges from you know the doctors down to the subject matter experts to the assistants. So it's uh, it's a pretty big organization. And matter of fact, I think it's either the second or third largest Catholic hospital uh, system in the in the state. So how do you keep everybody then, because most of your job is creating that overarching sort of brand messaging, right, of how the brand sort of talks to not only caregivers, but who the caregivers are helping the patients as well, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's really the, the strategy that I've had to employ, you know, unlike some of our competition, like Cleveland Clinic, for instance, there's a woman named Amanda over there, and she has a crew of about 35 people that that are writers, designers, interactive creators, um, SEO experts, on all the things. And, you know, that's a great model. And they do, they push, put out great content, but I don't have that luxury. And so what I've had to do is really partner. Um, you know, uh, the social team is in a different group. I'm in marketing. Brand is in marketing. Social is in comms. And so social and comms are kind of my key partners in this content effort because they're producing great content. I'm producing great content. So partnering with them, our internal stakeholders, our marketing stakeholders, our subject matter experts, doctors and nurses and such. Basically, I've created over the years um, a content council where we meet monthly uh, and, and sync up, you know, what's coming. We try to look 60 days out in terms of our planned content. Obviously, there's moments in time and, and trending stuff that we have to address. But we, we try to think up at least monthly and look 60 days out of what's coming. What are some of the initiatives? What are some of the awarenesses, you know, monthly awareness like heart, heart health and cancer health and all those things. We, we try to look at those and figure out what can we do to plug in to those narratives in meaningful ways. And it's really kind of an editorial calendar sync. And then stemming from that, there's a variety of tasks that need to be done, like locking on a governance structure, uh, building the taxonomy for content and tagging that's consistent across web, social, mm-hmm. blog, email, all the things. And so the content council uh, writ large, of which there's about 18 members, we, we, we are syncing and synthesizing the stories and topics we want to push out to the market and publish. Um, but then underneath that, there's sub-working groups that are two to five people um, and we kind of get in a room and we kind of build things, whether that's a story playbook or a governance structure, like I said, and then we take it back to the council, we vet it, we lock on it, and that way, bringing people along, obviously, you know, is a huge, huge thing, especially when you don't have anybody directly reporting to you. And so bringing them along and, and helping them become uh, advocates for the vision of content is the way I've been able to um, grow the muscle, for lack of a better word within the organization to be to appreciate content as a business asset because it is it touches everything from the hoodies you buy to the cups you drink out of to the signage on the building to uh, our blogs and so helping people realize that and look at content as a business asset it's it's been a three-year journey and it's it's not done but really it's to answer your question pointedly it's about partnerships partnering with the right people who have a vested interest who are change agents to actually think and do things differently 
and then creating the playbook and the structures to help guide them in those principles. And and something else you mentioned in one of our earlier conversations before we hopped on was pillars. You also have sort of messaging pillars that help align people as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. You know, Providence um, is a, um, it's a, it's a unique system, I, I think. You know, I, I, I've been here three years and I, I, I love it and I have zero interest in, in looking elsewhere, to be totally candid. And I, I love it because, like I said, it's a puzzle and I like a challenge. And beyond that, the mission that this organization has, and it's not that dissimilar from other big Catholic organizations or just health organizations in general, is to serve the poor and vulnerable. But that's not lip service to the caregivers here. It's, it's meaningful. People live it. They live that brand promise. They live that mission day to day and community benefits. Every year we have a goal of two to 5,000 hours of community service. I mean, that's just the marketing team. And that goes talking out, it goes out and working in the communities, uh, cleaning up parks, serving um, at, at shelters, uh, and everything in between. And so that element of being a community member uh, for health and helping uh, to serve the poor and vulnerable. And vulnerability is something that it took me a while to get my head around, Carrie. It's not just the poor, uh, and you think poor, you may think homelessness. And that's true, that's part of it but it's the vulnerable. I, if, you're, if you're having a heart attack or you've been diagnosed with cancer, there's not a more vulnerable position to be in. And so that notion of vulnerability is really kind of something I've rocked over the years to embrace that. That's everybody. Because anybody is just one medical misalignment from disaster. And so if you think about that, you know, that's a huge, huge remit to try to go out and figure out how to serve the poor and vulnerable. And that is our key mission as an organization. Underneath that, there are a variety of pillars. You know, mental health is something that is super, super important to this organization, always has been. That is obviously one of our main pillars. Housing is health. Health is a human right. These are words that define uh, how we show up, both in the clinical care office at Urgent Care and in the hospitals and day-to-day in the work we do. And all of that is guided by our values of excellence, integrity, compassion, dignity, these are all things that this organization has really embraced. And I think it takes a special mindset to, to work here. because some people are here for the mission. I'm not a hugely religious person. I'm here for the puzzle and the challenge. And I love the mission and I love what it stands for. So there's this broad swath of humans that work here that bring, bring to life every day the mission that the organization is trying to achieve. And that, that's really it's special and it's not something I've experienced. You know, I've been in tech, I've been in the agency world and those were all great experiences led me to this, but you know, I find meaning in the work that I do every day and it's, it's fun. And it does need to come back to, I mean, even for MKG, we always talk about our mission and our values and how they're at the core of everything that we do. And I think that's really important to give not only the employees, but the customers and the clients an opportunity to really care about what it is you're doing by bringing those things to life. And I love how you're doing this with starting with the mission, building those pillars underneath, and then everything you guys are doing comes back to that, whether it's actually giving care when you're in a hospital or you're in somebody's home or whether it's through a piece of content that you're writing. And again, coming back to that idea of of vulnerable, I mean, it it makes even the, the company and the brand and what you guys are doing vulnerable and, and putting yourself almost in their shoes by being so transparent. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. It's, it's true. And, you know, like I said, serving the poor and vulnerable is not something a lot of organizations can really do. I mean, there's a bottom line that you have to sustain, obviously. 
And in order for us to serve the poor and vulnerable, that really means serving those that rely on Medicare and Medicaid public assistance. Mm -hmm. That strains the ER, strains the caregivers. And so in order to do that, organizations like ours have to really attract the commercially insured folks like you and I. I feel very blessed and fortunate to have an organization that gives me really good health care. I'm sure you have decent health care coverage there as well. And a lot of people do. And creating a narrative, creating a story, creating a belief in the consumer mindset that Providence or any of our affiliates are the right choice for your care for those commercially insured patients, super, super important to drive that bottom line that influx, those leads, for lack of a better word in marketing speak, are what enables us to live and bring to life our mission of caring for the poor and vulnerable. So there's there's definitely a business element to this. I mean, because obviously you have to, well, has to, to be. Do, do what you do. And yeah. if you know anything about Medicare and Medicaid, the, the money that systems like ours or insurance providers or whatever, they get, you know, 35 cents on the dollar for treating those folks. And we have to do it. We, we won't turn people away. Full stop. We don't. You know, and that's that's money coming in. But then when you pull it and you think about the commercially insured, that's um, a more uh, revenue generating model that we have to facilitate. And unless systems like ours, Providence specifically, unless we are able to create a relevancy and a belief uh, at an emotional level with consumers to believe that we are the, the right place to get your care and whatever that is, whether that's urgent care, cancer treatment, uh, neuro whatever it is, having a baby, Swedish is known for that, obviously, uh, here in Seattle. Those are all things we have to create that belief. And that's where, for me, that's where the puzzle of brand storytelling and content marketing really come into play, because I'm always trying to think about that balance between the emotional connection you have with carriers of the world. How can I entice you through a piece of content, um, whether it's video, blog, or whatever, to stop the thumb scroll and listen to what we have to say, and then measuring that with the functional value of, I have the care you need at a cost with your insurance that you can afford. And so balancing those two elements, emotional connect and, and functional, that's the magic to me anyway in brand storytelling. I mean, storytelling, I feel like, is definitely the word of the year uh, and probably of the next few years. I feel like everybody's sort of moving in that direction, at least in, in multiple podcasts I've done just this year and, and a couple of the episodes that are coming out next year, it's definitely been a theme, this idea of storytelling. But I feel like everybody has sort of a different idea because everybody's doing something a little bit different. So for you specifically, Kelby, and, and what you're doing, you know, what is storytelling in the realm of content? What does that mean to you? That's a great question. And I think, I think you're right. It's, it's been one of those buzzwords, just like content marketing for, for years. And I think it's becoming more important. Just recently in September, I went to the content marketing world and I'd say probably 30% of the tracks there were around storytelling and I attended most of them and they were super, super important and informative. But to me, it's really about the pros. You know, it's so easy to write a educational piece that is fact-based, clinically backed with a few quotes not dissimilar from a press release. It's obviously a little more texture around it than a press release, but that's easy. You know, that was, you know, five or six years ago. Um, now I think there's an element of going back to that notion of, of emotion or humanity. How do you pull the humanity of the brand, the, the passion, the, the reasons for why we're here, why we care, how we care? How do you pull the essence of that into assets, whether it's video, audio, blog, whatever, how do you pull that humanity and lead with that 
to tell a story that is believable and relevant in a moment in time to a specific individual. I mean, getting down to that level of one to one is super hard, and we're not we're just not resourced right now and technologically savvy enough. Most healthcare systems aren't, but I think the storytelling is really kind of pulling forth that humanity and thinking about it as the not every piece of content is going to have the the beginning, the the character building the middle, what did they overcome? What was their new status quo? How did they, what, what changed about their, their situation? Not every piece of content is gonna do that, but thinking in that structure approach to, to narrative and just like a novel, adds a layer of depth to the content that you build and the stories you tell as the brand. So bringing it to life, um, you know, showing that, that the essence, you know, creating characters in a blog article, that's totally feasible. You may not have the, the chance to go through a whole journey of an individual character, but you can at least plant the seed of this character, make it more relatable to the readers and, and make it more, uh, ha- have, have a more of an emotional connection so that they can actually see themselves in the content. I think that's the, the true essence. It's the humanity and, and building content that consumers or humans can see themselves reflected in. So I'm a big fan of saying, you know, we have to show them a mirror. For instance, we are, we, our in-house research team uh, pulled about 850 consumers and asked them what their perception uh, of homelessness and housing insecurity was a big issue for us because I'd mentioned housing as health. You know, if we can mm-hmm. solve the housing issue, there's a real health benefit that comes with that. And that, that has positive societal ramifications if we can actually do that right and get to the root cause. But the research team did this study with consumers and asked them, you know, things like, um, who's responsible for it? What are the root causes? How does it appear to you? Those types of things. And so we took that content and turned it into a data-centric story and created an interactive experience around it that basically my intent is to show consumers a mirror of how they perceive homelessness. Because you think about homelessness as a topic, just taking that as one. It's a one-to-one issue. It's not like cancer. It's not like dyslexia or some of these other things that are one in five and one in three or whatever it is. But homelessness is one-to-one. We see it every day. We walk past it every day. It could be in our backyard. It could be on our way to work. It could be on our stroll in the park. Whatever it is, we see it. And mm-hmm. we, we're, it's such a massive issue that we feel we can't do anything about it. And there's this compassion fatigue notion that we have to overcome. And so my point is with this data, we're able to say, here's what consumers like you think about this topic. Here's how they perceive it. And showing them that mirror, my hope and hypothesis is that that'll, it will relate to them. It'll, it'll, it'll say, oh, yeah, I, this is right. But here's the alternative. Oh, and here, by the way, inserting Providence in a relevant way, here are some of the things we're doing with our partner ecosystem to truly address homelessness, like sustainable housing partners and you know, um, uh, volunteering and all the other things in between to try to address the issue. That's an example of, of how uh, I, I believe showing consumers a mirror in the context of a brand story, it can help change perceptions and ideally establish an emotional connection that people would want to interact with our brand. And because it's relatable. Right, exactly. 100% relatable. I mean, it's certainly a problem. Uh, uh, Both of us live in or near Seattle and it is certainly prevalent here. And and even just hearing you talk about it strikes a chord. I can't wait to see this piece of content in January. through your partnerships, like you talked about with the different teams there at Providence, you know, are coming up with content ideas. That's one way you did it. How, how do you consistently come up with content ideas? Because I feel like you're always generating new ones. Your blog is always full. Your social media is 
humming. Where are these ideas coming from? That's one of the, it's both a, a blessing and a curse for me, um, is I can't stop the ideas. It's just, I, my mind operates in bubbles. Um, and it's just a matter of which bubble can I grab and, and actually go with. A lot of it comes from me, but then I rely specifically on my uh, partners in the content council to pressure test that and rein me in. <laughs> and then luckily I have an amazing agency out of Cincinnati called Writer Girl, and they have uh, earned their, their reputation around focusing on healthcare content specifically. I saw them at the ShishMed concert, which is a healthcare-related conference that is nationwide uh, a couple years ago. And when I was looking for a new content partner uh, last year, they were top of my list. Uh, so far since this past May, they are the drivers from our editorial perspective anyway, our blog, uh, they are the drivers of the topics. And just a quick note on the process, typically how that works. We try to look 60 days out for our planned content. And what my agency does is they Proposed topics, you know, we write about 20 pieces of content each month. They propose 30 or 40 topics. I take the ones that I think would be uh, relevant, and then we source them through the content council and ask for feedback based on what's happening in the different regions uh, at a given time. And, you know, whether it's heart-related, nutrition-related, women's health-related, or aging, or whatever in between, we, we source them and we capture the essence of what the collective wants to write about, and then we lock on those 15 or 20 topics and then we we go uh, writer go goes writes the articles and that's a mix of both text-based blogs infographics and such within we partner with um, our social team who is building uh, a variety of different types of podcasts some video interviews stuff like that and we kind of um, opportunistically curate relevant pieces of content to complement the articles that we write uh, for the blog and elsewhere and then the blog is really kind of the fuel that feeds our, our monthly newsletters that go out to loosely about 1.5 million people each month. Our automation team curates the best uh, content that we have using data and just kind of what we know consumers respond to. And then they, they send out these, these monthly newsletters. The blog is also the fuel for a lot of the social posts that, that go out. And so that partnership, like I said, it's not any one person generating the ideas. It's really a combination of myself, uh, my agency, the content council, and all the stakeholders therein to uh, crystallize around topics that uh, are relevant to consumers, because that's really our focus. We have a different team that focuses on engaging influencers, policymakers, business leaders, and such. And so we partner with them as well. The blog, the web assets that I manage are really um, uh, consumer-centric. So Writer Girl gives you a whole bunch of topics and they've certainly done their research, uh, you know, being an agency, I'm sure there's a, a whole bunch of different ways that they've done their research and you source those topics, but you yourself come up with ideas and you said that you can't stop, but I'm curious as to, you, the inspiration's got to come somewhere similar to you. My brain doesn't ever stop and I certainly come up with new ideas, but, but that's because I'm constantly listening, right? I'm listening to podcasts. I'm listening to people talking yes. in my organization. I'm hearing all these things. So for you, where do the ideas sort of spark from? Uh, you, you nailed it. it it's, um, it's, it's podcast. It's, I, I can't, I'm a voracious reader, uh, whether uh, audible and text and even old school books. I typically have a couple books going at any given time and I, I listen to um, innumerable uh, podcasts that inspire me, some marketing. And um, those are things, those are where I, I just get ideas. And then I, I've curated a lot of my social channels to follow 
uh, or to, to show some of the thought leaders that I admire, like Brian Fulis, Jeremiah Wang, David Romano, Edelman, seeing their narratives, what they're talking about, and sometimes I source inspiration from there to then turn into different uh, topics that, that would be relevant for our brand. Because a lot of those thought leaders are really tech-centric and may not, you know, their specific topic may not be relevant, but it's a source of inspiration to help me synthesize and pivot in a way that would be relevant for our brand narratives. And also, my, my, I'll be honest, my kids, and my, my kids inspire me. I mean, I've got a, a four-year-old boy and a, a seven-year-old a girl, and they're they are idea generators all the time. And sometimes they say some things, as you, you may know, you have kids as well, some of the four, my four-year-old just says some of these things that's just out of left field, but then I create a marker in my head, and then two or three days later, I'll be like, oh, that was, that was interesting, and then kind of that's a source of inspiration as well. So podcast books, curated social channels, and, and my children are kind of four key sources, and then, of course, the office chatter, hearing what's going on, and getting the inputs from our the content council, that's also a big source as well. So you wrote, I, I looked at the blog, I did my research. And you actually recently wrote an article around Movember. I love the format of that. Oh, you start off in terms of storytelling and creating that mirror. You did that quite literally uh, in, in kicking off that blog post. And then it turned into this amazing piece of long-form content that talks about the history of Movember and then gets into what Movember really means and men's health and some, you know, it's just a great useful piece of content that pulls in a whole bunch of different, you know, key aspects. But where did the inspiration for that one specifically come from? My, my social team, they uh, obviously, well, my social team and the, the few of the folks in the digital innovation team, uh, the guy there named Christopher Crothers, who he has a you know, history of, of cancer in his family and every November he advocates for it. And so uh, I looked at that and I always, you know, candidly, as a man, I typically wear facial hair. I'm always on Movember. Uh, not a mustache, goatee typically. But um, seeing those, the need and the interest there, it made me curious. And I honestly thought it was just dudes putting, wearing a mustache. And so I decided to take, uh, create some space over a couple of days and do my research. And come to find out the Movember charity is the biggest charity for men's health issues. And I, I didn't know that until this. And so it was a little bit of investigative journalism to kind of dig into a topic. And as you mentioned, long form content, that's something that we don't do a lot of, but I, I've read so many articles about how if you can create a one-stop shop around a topic that resonates with people. And so that article specifically was really an experiment to see if a, can I set it up with a character um, and do a little bit of storytelling so that I could draw people in again, have, have them see a mirror and have it relatable. And then dive into okay, what was the what was the foundation of this? Where, where does it start? How did it start? It start in Australia, and then why does it matter? What are the what are the medical or the um, health issues that they're really focused on? Prostate, testicular cancer, and mental health, depression, suicide specifically. And that was super eye opening. And now, I mean, I felt so enlightened as to why men in during the month of November do this now, and I feel uh, more educated. Uh, shame on me for not knowing that previously, but regardless. It was a fun way to kind of dive into a topic that was timely and relevant. And my hope is that the readers will actually take that piece of content and understand and like me, have some level of an epiphany as to why and how this whole movement was created. And so thank you for your praise on that. It was, it was a fun effort. And I don't 
candidly, as again, a one man shop, I don't get that much freedom to write. And I love to write. And that was a, um, a labor of love, if you will. Long form pieces of content are incredibly powerful. Uh, just being a one-stop shop for resources. And then from an SEO perspective, our SEO experts, I'm sure would be screaming for the mountaintops if they could, how important long form content is. But in terms of the resources to pull those together, it's the constant roadblock we hit with our clients of, of just time. Uh, and you mentioned it too, like not having the resources. Luckily, you love to write and you yourself could sit down and do the research and make this thing happen. But you can't do it all in terms of writing all the content. And you talked about how your resources are a bit limited, how you don't have a full team. And I think it's really interesting how you've become really creative and looking at the resources that are available within the company and pulling those together and and looking outside from uh, you know, to other agencies like a writer girl. And it lo- it sounds like your partnership with writer girl has expanded because initially when we talked a month or so ago, you were just using them for infographics uh, because you needed visual content and that was sort of a gap for you. They they quickly ramped up and found our voice. You know, it took a couple months and the agency you're going to have that at lead time. Uh, but it's gotten to the point where I don't even need to uh, I review them because I'm interested, but I don't really need to spend a lot of time editing the content they're building because they they nailed it consistently. So yeah, that that expansion, and I intend next year to even expand the relationship with them further because I realize they work on an hourly basis. So you buy a number of hours, blah blah blah. Uh, I realized that we we didn't have enough hours at the outset. Again, it was a, a pilot experiment with a new agency, but as they proved their salt, I definitely want to expand that relationship with them next year. But they are consistently helping to uh, crystallize and think more diligently about what we're trying to do with our mission and our brand voice. And so they're uh, a major partner in our storytelling machine. And why did you start with infographics with them specifically? Infographics, we know that that's one of the most shared things on social. So that was a duh data point. And so we didn't have enough of those. We had some in-house ones that I felt were for lack of a better word, a little pedestrian, that we need a little more creative flair. And I think an agency and an objective outside partner really does help bring that objectivity to think differently and, and bring a new way of, of packaging content. And so um, that was one of the, the big tasks I, I worked with Writer Girl on at the outset was how do we how do we get smarter and better about our, and for our visual content? And it, it started with, you know, what we realized, uh, this was a kind of a learning over the last few months, our infographics were a little, they were long. They weren't long form content, but the visual itself was, it required you to do a little scroll. And if you think about that in a mobile, on a mobile device, that's not ideal. And so what we did about four months ago, a writer girl came to me and said, we like, the, we like these, but we have this idea we want to experiment with. And so I was like, perfect. So we've condensed the actual visual to be less scroll centric, if you will, thinking about a mobile design, right there in the center of the page uh, or the screen. And so I think we're experimenting with that now to make them a little more condensed versus, you know, a multi-page PDF, if you will. It's trial and error. I mean, I don't think anybody really nails infographics. I mean, there's, you go Google it and look at the images and there's just so many different variants of them and it, it depends on what works for your audience. And so it's, it's a constant uh, experiment to do that. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of, experimenting. I don't believe that there's failures. I believe that there's learnings in everything we do and uh, whether these more condensed versions will add, uh, drive more eyes and views and return visits, we'll see. 
so is that your goals then ideally is the visits and just getting eyeballs to the to all this content you're building or is there a bigger long-term goal at the end of the rainbow essentially well, i think the long-term vision i would love to facilitate and enable is to be a, a health hub for lack of a better word you know healthcare is so episodic i look to a provider or a doctor when I need care, I, we all do it. You know, I had bronchitis recently and it took me a week of laying in bed. And then my mom came to town and said, you have to, you need to go get that checked. So I went in, I found I had bronchitis. And so that was a moment of care. I didn't think about this urgent care provider until that moment. So long-term, I would love to create a cadence, a, a series, a, uh, an outlet, a hub, whether that's a blog, a uh, interactive hub, whatever that ends up being, for health information that it, people trust, believe in, and uh, return to. You know, I think you look at Mayo, Hopkins, uh, Cleveland Clinic, all huge pillars in the healthcare industry, all doing amazing work. There's no reason with our system and our footprint, we can't be in that narrative as well, and that, that conversation as well. And that's my goal, is not necessarily to be like them, but to do what they've done to create that trust, that emotional connection, that belief in the content that they produce, whether that is research papers, whether that's articles, whether that's interviews with uh, subject matter experts like doctors, whatever that is, a combination thereof, I believe that we could have an opportunity, there's white space to do that, because I, I don't believe that any healthcare brand, any healthcare organization is really doing storytelling exceptionally well. I think there's there's fits and starts, and there's definitely uh, some interesting things. Like, like Kaiser's Thrive is a very interesting brand narrative. It's focused, it's relevant, it's relatable, but I think there's white space in, in there to do something different, and that's space I'd like to, like to occupy. And to do that, I think we have to turn our content and our brand into something that is less episodic and more mm -hmm. always on. And so if you think about um, whether that is a anonymous Space, like a blog or a logged in state, whichever it is, or some combination thereof, you create an outlet for people to both learn and act. So that learn emotional connection. This is for me. I believe you. You can treat me. And then how, the functional, how do I get treated? Do I need a virtual visit with on my mobile device? Or do I need to go in to see my primary care doctor? Which primary care doctor? Where? And so that is kind of my long-term vision. But when I say return visits, I believe that that is a signal of relevancy. So if we see our, and we have through the blog, I've seen re return visits jump, I wanna say 80 to 90% year over year between uh, 18 and 19, that's great. I mean, to me, that is a validator of we're building content that more people want to come back to. Now, our monthly average visitors are nothing compared to what a Cleveland clinic or somebody else has. Cleveland, you know, again, they have a massive machine. I have, I don't have a machine yet, I'm building one content machine that is, but they have a massive machine and they've been able to monetize their blog, Health Essentials, which is great, because they can get a million to a million and a half visitors every single month. We're tracking at maybe 200,000 a month. So to get to that, you know, monetization is a goal, it's not the goal. It's to be relevant, helpful, and ease consumers' way to get the care they need. That's my goal. But sure, if we get to that space where we're attracting 500,000 or a million visitors per month, Great. Is there an opportunity to showcase some of our partners through advertising? Perfect. I'd totally be open to that. But the real goal in terms of return visitors, as I mentioned, 
that is really just a metric that I look at because that's a relevancy metric. There's others, the basic web metrics, bounce rates and all those things. Conversions is really important. What are people doing after they read a blog? I look through my analytics platform and I can trace, they viewed a blog, then they looked at the doctor, then they scheduled this appointment. Great, blog had value. And being able to attribute that is a nut that I'm, I'm trying to crack with UTM codes and stuff like that, being able to attribute back to a specific action that is causal versus correlated. And so I hope that answered your question in terms of how I think a little bit about data, return visitors, signal value, really kind of trying to, the North Star long term is really creating a health hub and really focusing on the relevancy in ways that will uh, create a emotional connection, a belief that we can ease consumers' ways to get the care they need. I think return visitors is so interesting because I'm not sure it's all that looked at, especially for, you know, tech. I think healthcare makes a ton of sense to be looking at return visitors because you're, you want them to always come back to you in getting care. It's to your point, you know, that, that care is episodical and it comes in waves, you know, once you establish that foundation, especially with a healthcare system or a doctor, you you want that person to keep coming back. And I think that could be relevant outside of healthcare and for other brands and other companies as well, especially when you're talking about creating just a place where people believe in your brand and want to come back and want to engage. And then when you're talking about the bottom line, obviously, you know, money is important from a selling standpoint. And then you talk about upselling or selling, you know, further beyond that initial sale. Uh, if you're talking about subscription, you want them to come back month over month over month. And so how do you keep them engaged? How do you continue to give them useful information, you know, that's free, essentially, that they don't necessarily have to log into uh, to get, I think, is where the value comes in for sure. Totally. And it's all about, like I said, I think it's establishing that emotional connection, showing the humanity behind the brand and focusing on relevancy and, and in a moment of time. And it's not, that's not easy. I mean, it's one of the things we don't do well yet. One of the things that I'd like to uh, experiment with um, in 2020 with my automation team is uh, build content for life stages. So if you think about a woman who is, or a couple that is expecting uh, that want to have a family. So what is the content that would be relevant uh, pre-pregnancy? What is the content that would be relevant during pregnancy? What is the content post-pregnancy? And then what is it happening when they're moving into tween and teen years? And so you think about that as a mechanic or construct for building content. You could also think about generations. You could build for boomers, Xers. But thinking about life stage content is something that I think adds a level of personalization, relevancy in the moment. And, you know, like I said, I would love to be like an Amazon or a Spotify or Netflix and have the technical and, and algorithmic capabilities to personalize down to a one-to-one -one level. I experimented with that last year and we did, we made some, made some hay and proved the concept. But again, it's a matter of technological transformation. Um, and there's obviously you can imagine prioritization for all the, the care data and all that stuff that takes priority over investing in something that is more of a front end upper funnel thing. So, but the point is it's relevancy, humanity, and experimenting and trying to figure out how can you get more personal with humans that interact with your brand. You want to build this hub. I look forward to the day I get to visit it. <laughs> What's your position on, are you, do you live in the camp of if you build it, they will come? Or do you live in the camp of you need to bring people to it? Given the noise out there, 
well, I mean, we're dealing with attracting attention. I mean, everybody has, you know, thanks to social media, the bar has become, how do you stop the thumb scroll? I mean, if, when you do that, you're onto something. That's really what you have to build for. Uh, will they come if you just build it? Um, if you have something jarring, interesting, evocative, daring, bold enough, whether that's a headline, an image, whatever that is, that may stop the thumb scroll and they may glance at it, but will they engage? And so I think the, you have to find ways to, again, I think it comes back to that emotional connection and the humanity behind the brand. Um, you have to find ways to, to create a, uh, a belief uh, through your assets consistently across channels that will stop the thumb scroll and entice people, enough people to want to click, press or whatever to engage with the asset that, you, that they see in front of them. So I, I think you, you, have to, you have to build for that. You have to build it first and foremost, obviously, and then activating all the channels that are available to you from a marketing and comm standpoint, and uh, even syndicated content, you know, with Taboola or Outbrain, driving awareness, creating exposure is how you're gonna pull people in. When you've been able to attract a million and a half or more visitors a month like Cleveland Clinic has, or establish yourself as a research institution as Mayo has, or syndicate your content on NPR as Kaiser has, then it's a different game. You're just building and people are coming because you got exposure. But in order to get exposure and get traffic and engagement, you have to find, you have to be crafty and really figure out what are those exposure points that are going to drive that quality traffic to your blogs, your website, to your uh, sign up for emails, to your social channels and all the things in between. So I don't think you can just build it and call it a day. You really have to be mindful and strategic about how you're executing. And I think that's, I would like more resources to improve the way we execute and publish content across channels in a more consistent way. And that starts with the journey that we're on right now. We're in the throes of building a new brand platform. You know, we are a system of Catholic and non-Catholic institutions. Obviously, you can imagine the, the difference in belief systems and narratives that are available in each of those camps, Catholic, non-Catholic. And having a unified brand and a story and a voice, that's the building that will allow you to create the belief system with humans that will bring them into your content house, if you will. And let, you know, let's, be, let's be clear, health is a local game. You know, I live in Seattle. Swedish has campuses in, I don't know, six or seven neighborhoods, north, south, east, west, Seattle. There's one that I go to, it's Cherry Hill or First Hill. There's two actually, they're fairly uh, close together. That's my, that's my hospital. I mean, I, I have, I don't, it's not like a mad affinity for the brand. It's just, it's a convenience factor. So there's a proximity element when you think about health or anything for that matter, but there's a proximity element. And once you've gained that belief in that hospital or that doctor uh, at a hospital, your tendency is to go with that. And I think it's less so with younger generations they are a little more flighty and that's fine. That's even a bigger challenge, but I think healthcare is local. And so operating at the system level where I am with a blog, I have to partner with my regional stakeholders to make sure this is why I have the content council. I have to partner with my regional stakeholders to ensure that I'm pulling from them the essence of what they want to talk about so that when we publish content that, it, that resonates with them and their audience that they're trying to reach in Montana or in Alaska or in Southern California. That's the, the, the essence of, of the build. So you, you have to build it, broadcast it in a meaningful way, publish it in a meaningful way, all while pulling in inputs and leveraging inputs from 
the people that are on the ground that know the are humans that they want to pull into their system. Hence the challenge that you clearly signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it, it does. It sounds like this, this massive blessing and a curse in that you have, well, you don't have necessarily your own team of resources. You have vast resources that you seem to be engaging in the right way where you're, you're saying this isn't about me, Kelby Johnson, what I'm trying to accomplish. It's about what you as the people on the ground and what you're trying to accomplish and how I can help you enable that essentially. And I think when you create that narrative, even internally to, you know, help everybody sort of work together, I think that becomes really powerful and it, and enables. Yes, it's a bit trickier, I would, uh, I would think, in sort of sitting at the top and looking at this giant puzzle and all of these pieces and how they work together. But it sounds like from, from a blessing standpoint, you actually get bigger reach than if you just had your own team sitting where you are, you know, pulling the levers themselves. That's, that's an interesting perspective, an interesting take. And I think there's truth to that. My job is I would probably say 70% listening and understanding, you know, what my colleagues, stakeholders, content partners, whatever you want to call them, need, want, desire, and how can I contribute to that? You know, whether that is um, an agenda that the social team is pushing around mental health. Okay, I know that now. Your angle is this. How can I support it? My access points are blog, web, and email. Theirs are shared and earned. And then how can we then take those kernels of ideas to inform our media that is, you know, the paid approach. And so it, it is this, this kind of piecing together, I've used puzzle, but it is literally piecing together the puzzle. And this has been a three and a half year journey of being able to establish the trust with the people that I know that I need to engage, the channel owners, the, the thought leaders, the change agents throughout the organization, and finding ways to gauge them in, in uh, relevant ways and to build that trust so that they see value in the content. Because Providence is not a content organization. It's not a storytelling organization. And that's the, the challenge that I've embraced and uh, adopted. And I'm grateful to have the opportunity with our CMO and my uh, manager, the uh, lead for branding, to have the, the, the space to actually try to do that. And it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's fun and hard. And I just try to operate above the stress. And you know, I think that I'm finding ways to send positive energy out into the universe. The universe will then repay me with these great-minded change agents, people that are going to help me on my path and my journey to make Providence a content organization. That's what I want to believe. Well, I think you're well on your way. And I cannot wait to see what you do in 2020 with the content you're building and beyond that into your hopes and dreams of building this content hub. I think if anybody can do it, Kelby Johnson, it is you. <laughs> well, thank you, Carrie, for the voice of support. I, it's, like I said, I'm having a lot of fun. I've, I've been in professional life for 20 plus years and I, I, I've never landed in a place where I've not stopped looking. I've stopped looking for the next because this is not, definitely not comfortable. I'm definitely uncomfortable on most days and that's the state that I thrive in. And to me, that's fun. Thank you so much for joining me. I am going to get all this content out to our listeners so that they can follow along as well. We're all on the edge of our seats. It's happening. Awesome. Always such a pleasure to chat with you. And I always feel inspired to go out into the world and see what I can come up with next. Thank you, Carrie. Likewise, feelings mutual.
So that was my interview with Kelby. John, are there any healthcare clients you've seen or any ads in healthcare, either from our clients or previous clients that have, you know, really stuck with you over the years? Yeah. So there, uh, this one client I had, it was Texas Health Resources. And there was a, a big get one year when we were doing a commercial commercial spot and they had Matthew McConaughey be the, uh, the spokesman for it. And uh, I just remember sitting in the meeting and when it was announced that he was going to be the spokesperson, everybody kind of like cheered out. You're like, yeah, yeah, we got, we got Matthew McConaughey. Great. But then you see the commercial and it was just him kind of talking randomly over health related matters. And I didn't think it fit what the brand was doing. It didn't tell the story of the brand at all. It was just basically to get a name and then use that name to, to sell the product. But there was no connection between the actual branding messaging and what the actual spot was saying. It's just Matthew McConaughey talking for the sake of Matthew McConaughey talking. So basically, this is what you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a, a bad storytelling moment right here when you're, when you're using just to sell something that's not related at all. Terrible, terrible. Terrible. And that, I mean, Kelby did exactly the opposite of that. Right? He constantly is trying to bring real, I, I just saw, he mentioned in his podcast, uh, one of these uh, campaigns that he just did that launched in January, where he actually brings in real people talking about what it was like to be homeless before Providence gave them uh, their lives back, essentially. And it's so compelling because it's coming from real people who are going through it. And and that makes it so much more relatable than <laughs> Matthew McConaughey, who is a multimillionaire that nobody could really like ever put themselves in his shoes, essentially. And so two totally different strategies. There is one clear right way, I would say, and one clear maybe not so right way. Yeah, I definitely loved his, uh, his anecdote about the telling the homeless people stories. I think that kind of resonates, especially from a local perspective. It makes a lot more sense than having faceless corporate guy sing your praises. And uh, I have that link down in the show notes. So be sure to check out a real life example of what Kelby was talking about. And if you want to learn more about Kelby Johnson, you can find him on LinkedIn. Uh, again, his link is in the show notes, as well as to the that one piece of content Kelby talked about, as well as their blog be sure to definitely check out what Providence Health is up to and all of their content and what Kelby's got going on over there. This wraps up season two of the MKG podcast. If you enjoyed all eight episodes, be sure to give us a rating so we can stay top of mind for new listeners and smash that subscribe button because season three is going to drop sometime in March and you don't want to miss it because we've got some great, great guests lined up. Make sure that you are uh, ready to hear season three the minute it's out and there for you to listen to. And thank you for listening to the MKG podcast, the podcast that helps marketers grow their business using the four M's, the right means, messaging, media, and measurement. I'm your host, Carrie Gard, and until next time, 